0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Yeah, as I was just sitting there reading this, oops, the, the words to verse three, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Well, my mind was drawn to 1 Corinthians 1, Right there at the very uh, end of that chapter, here's what Paul says. "'For the word of the cross is foolish or folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise?' Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now what do we preach? Just like this song said here, I'll boast in nothing but Christ and Him crucified. So I, I, that, just, that just really spoke to me as I was playing and just, you know, reading that last verse, I was like, man, that's good stuff. Okay, that was extra. Uh, it, It is that time of year where we tend to focus on thanksgiving. Um, so I want to take... We, we did this on Wednesday. We had our um, yearly uh, participation with the happy hearts of uh, choppy Southern and uh, had a house full over there in the uh, CLC and I, I did this there. But I want to give you, since it is Thanksgiving, how many of you do this at Thanksgiving? You actually go around the table and say what you're thankful for. I've heard of a lot of people doing that. But I want you to do that this morning and we're not going to take long. This will just be a minute or two. But if you can say... It in 10 seconds or less, I want you to stand up and speak loud so everybody can hear and tell me what you are thankful for. You don't even have to stand up, just speak loud. I, I know that weirds a lot of people. Way in the back. Thankful that I, know God. Thankful that I got a God. You know who that came from? That was Miss Sarah Colvin that has just been re diagnosed with cancer. And there's the feeling is it's inoperable breast cancer. So there, she's going to be going to doctors and talking about chemo and what have you. But she is trusting God. Anybody else, Anybody top that? Well, I'll tell you, the very first person that raised their hand over there said, I am thankful for my salvation. And I was like, OK, do we need to go any further? That is the greatest gift. Greatest gift. Right, Paul is using that in his passage we're looking at this morning. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift, which is His Son, which is salvation, which is eternal life. All of those things. Well, the truth is, as I said in my prayer, we shouldn't just be about Thanksgiving during the Thanksgiving season. We, we try to be them. we try to be obvious, but we should be obvious with our Thanksgiving throughout the year. Now, just to get us started, I've got some silly jokes for you. Okay. What did the mother turkey say to her disobedient children? If your father could see you now, he'd turn over in his gravy. (laughs) Okay. What side, I told you they were silly. What side dish do you bring for Thanksgiving dinner when you accidentally sat on the sweet potatoes? That's now called squash casserole. (laughs) What do you call a running turkey? Fast food. Why did they let the turkey join the band? There you go. I knew somebody knew know that one. He already had a pair of drumsticks. Very good. Uh, what happened to the turkey that got in a fight? He got the stuffing beat out of him. <laughs> what did the turkey say to the turkey hunter on the day before Thanksgiving? quack. Quack. <laughs> Now, my family told me to stop telling Thanksgiving jokes, but I just couldn't quit cold turkey. I mean, it is, it is Thanksgiving. <laughs> All right, seriously, Thanksgiving is a biblical concept. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Now, a lack of giving thanks to God is a point of condemnation, according to Paul in this verse. That's one thing that the people are going to be held accountable for. You didn't honor me, nor did you give thanks. In Psalm 69, 30, the psalmist says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Now, think about that. We magnify God. We glorify God when we live a life of gratitude or of thanksgiving in the presence of the lost. Our thankfulness exalts God. The author of Hebrews says, Through Him, then, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Again, just acknowledging God. So, this idea of thanksgiving is a serious one, and in 2 corinthians fifteen nine or nine fifteen Paul gives thanks to God for his indescribable gift, and that 's our topic this morning. Do you think that the major communication media of our society provides provides us with any serious insight and counsel on the most important issues in life? I mean the utterly crucial questions like How can I as a sinful person have peace with a righteous God? How can I have my sins forgiven and His judgment taken away? Or how can I know that beyond the grave there will be life and joy and not just a fearful prospect of judgment? Or how can I have the deepest longings of my heart, not just the superficial desires for for comfort and prosperity, but the deep, deep heart cries of the night? Or, how can I know God personally? Can I have a relationship with Him now and walk with Him as I would with a friend? Or, is there a power to love? Is there a power strong enough that really changes people so that they don't do drugs, they don't steal or cheat or hate or kill? These are the great issues of life. But where are we going to turn for insight and wisdom and counsel and truth? The great media powers of our land, the newspapers, the magazines, the television, the radio, the movies, they're silent on the greatest issues in the world. And the effect that, that that silence has is to spread an assumption throughout the mindset of our entire society that those questions are no more important than your personal preference for pizza over hamburgers. Blaise Pascal French mathematician and philosopher, he died in 1662. He said, Man's sensitivity to small things and his ins- insensitivity to the most important things are surely evidences of a strange disorder. Now, that's nearly 350 years ago when he said that. Guess what? That's where we're at today. It is a strange disorder. Pas- Pascal thought that if there is a possibility that there is a God in heaven, if there is just a possibility that there is eternity and judgment beyond the grave, just the possibility, then reasonable people will be earnestly engaged in settling these things for themselves and getting right with God and preparing for the endless ages of existence beyond this world. But what do we see? We see a modern culture that has no significant place for these questions at all. And we see people that say that they're very religious, uh, not very religious, yet they believe there is a God. Now this is kind of like you know, the person that says, I believe there's a doctor who could heal my terminal disease, but I'm not going to try to find him. Or I believe there's a rescue boat that could, uh, that could reach me adrift at sea, but I don't shoot off my flare so that I can be found. Or I believe there's a, a vast treasure hidden in a nearby field, but I don't want to sell anything so that I can buy it. We live in a very dark and strange age. Now, I pray that none of you would be asleep like that, but that God would wake us up to what really matters in life. Now, let's pray. Father, we pray that by the power of Your Spirit that You would open our eyes, uh, that You would get the wax out of our ears, the hardness of our hearts would go away, and we would understand the truth of what Paul proclaims this morning, that we should be thankful for the gift of Jesus. So we pray that You'd do that in our hearts and our lives. If there's anybody in here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, may You do a work in their heart that we can only give You praise and glory for. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now what I want to do this morning is take those five basic questions that we started with, which seem to me to be some of the most important questions in the world, and show from God's Word that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is God's gift to the world, and that He is so valuable that Paul calls Him an indescribable gift. So question one, how can I as a sinful person have peace with a righteous God? How can I have my sins forgiven and God's judgment taken away. Now every one of us knows the Bible is right when it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We also know intuitively that God is just and He must be reckoned with. As the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that comes judgment. We will give an account to God for our lives So our hearts tell us, loud and clear, we must find a way to get right with God. And Jesus is God's indescribable gift to meet that very need. The Bible tells us of a a time when a man came seeking healing from Jesus, and Jesus looked on him and his friends and, and saw their faith, and he said, My son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the religious leaders sitting there said to themselves, Hmm, this is blasphemy. Now, why did they think that Jesus committed blasphemy when He said, your sins are forgiven? You can see the answer if you put yourself in this position. Suppose that I punched Tyler right in the nose for no good reason. Let's try it. No, that's okay. And before he has a chance to say anything or to retaliate, you step in and you say to me, oh, whoa, whoa, now, now let's, let's, let's settle this before it gets out of hand. Pastor Dave, I forgive you for hitting Tyler. There now, all is well. Tyler's eyes would probably get big and he says, what in the world do you think you are doing? He hit me, not you. You just can't step in here and forgive him. I have to forgive him. That in essence is what the religious leaders were saying to Jesus. Who do you think you are? This man sinned against God. God alone has to forgive him, not you. You are committing blasphemy because you act as though you were God. Now, how did Jesus respond? (laughs) Very calmly, very coolly, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then He healed the man physically to validate this authority that He was talking about. Jesus did what only God has the right to do. He forgave sins. Now, the choice that we must make is this. Either Jesus was a charlatan, say like Jim Baker, or, or Jesus was the Son of God who takes away the sins of all who believe in Him. In Romans chapter 4, we just recently looked at this in detail. Paul goes to great length to show us that we are justified by faith. We are made right with God uh, by believing and trusting in his, si- in his Son who died for our sins. Jesus is God's answer to our first great, great question. He came, He suffered, He died, and He rose again from the dead to pay the price for our sins. He's no charlatan. When we trust Him as Lord and Savior of our lives, we have peace with God. Our sins are forgiven, and there is no more condemnation. And we sing, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Well, question two How can I know that beyond the grave there will be life and joy and not a fearful prospect of judgment? It's amazing how little concern people have for eternity. I've heard people say something like, Oh, I'm sure God will just send me the other way when I show up at the door. And and then they chuckle. They joke about it because deep down they know that eternity is real, and if this God thing is real, then they don't stand a chance. It's easier to to joke about it than to deal with the eternal destination of their soul. But it's nothing to joke about, is it? Jesus said that the worm never dies there. The fire never goes out. In fact, on more than 20 occasions, Jesus linked hell with fire. It is a fearsome place. And believe me, the Bible is clear on this. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and both last forever. I find it interesting that Jesus spoke twice as much about hell as He did about heaven. And where we spend eternity is chosen in this life. And of course, Jesus is the way, the only way. Jesus said back in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, as believers, uh, we know what is coming. And of course, we sing, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Question number three. How can I have the deepest longings of my heart satisfied? Not just the superficial desires for for comfort and prosperity. Those come with just, those desires come with just being part of America, don't they? That's what we're kind of shooting for. But what about those deep, deep heart cries of the night? Gary uh, Gaetti, you may remember him. He was the third baseman for the Minnesota Twins. And in 1987, uh, they won the World Series. And he thought that that was the greatest thrill in the world. This was the peak of fame and fortune to him. But he writes, then in 1988, a year later, <clears throat> I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord of my life. Believe me, friend, the World Series was great, but nothing compares to the thrill of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus and knowing that you have your name written in the record books of eternal, everlasting life. End quote. There's no denying that the world has thrills to offer. And the longer we live, the more thrills it comes up with. But the older and the wiser you get, the more you realize they really don't satisfy. They aren't deep enough to touch the longings of the heart, and they don't last. The reason is that our, t- our appetites, the appetites of our heart, they, they were made for God. And they're not going to be satisfied until we feast on fellowship with God in uh, uh, la, 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 Pro, uh, mm, Song of Solomon. So, nope. What's the other one? Ecclesiastes, thank you. Ecclesiastes 3.11, uh, uh, Solomon writes that he has put eternity in our hearts. All right? we have this God-shaped void, and it's eternal. And nothing on this earth is going to fulfill it. Here's how C.S. Lewis said it. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world, and we're not going to be satisfied until we partake of that other world, which, of course, is available to us today in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But when we look around, don't we see an awful lot of people that are thirsty? Everybody is searching for that fountain of everlasting joy. But when you find Jesus, the search is over. The heart sings again, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Well, question four, how can I know God personally? Can I have a relationship with Him now and walk with Him as with a friend? Several years ago, two Harvard astronomers uh, discovered a great wall of galaxies spread through the universe 500 million light years across. Uh, A light year is six, about six trillion miles. So that makes this wall of galaxies three billion trillion miles across. We, We can't even begin to fathom that, can we? Now, if you believe with the Bible that God created everything that is not God, then God is unspeakably great. And the further the Hubble goes out there and shows us pictures of what's out there, the greater God seems to get. But for some, this means that He is farther and farther away, that He's harder and harder to know and to love. But Jesus is the answer. At the beginning of His gospel, here's what John writes. In the beginning was the Word, talking about Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And you go down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God in the person of His Son has become flesh, human. You remember what Jesus said to Philip? He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. God is reaching out to us in Jesus. God wants to be known. He wants to be loved. He wants to be a Father and a friend. And though He is great beyond all imagination, He came near in Jesus so that we could know Him. Jesus also told Philip, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. We can know God just as personally as you can know anyone in this world. Your heart can sing, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Well, question number five is there a power to love? Is there a power that can really change people so that they don't do drugs, they don't steal or cheat or hate or kill? The answer to this question can be found in the Bible and it can be found in the lives of those that know Jesus best. You remember what Paul says in Galatians 2.20? He says, I-, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the life of Paul lived by faith in the Son of God was an incredible life of love and sacrifice and joy and joy for the good of people and for the glory of God. Paul has no doubt at all <laughs> that there is a power that really changes people. I mean, we should know it just from his experience there in Acts 9 where he's going to persecute the church and he meets Jesus and he becomes one of the, the greatest uh, men that have ever lived who named the name of Christ. He does that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you'll remember the, the, the disciples, except for the one instance where Paul whacks off Malchus's ear, they're a bunch of wimps. And Peter turns into a wimp shortly, doesn't he? Denying Christ three times. But by the Holy Spirit on that Pentecost day, they were transformed into, the, into some of the boldest people this world has ever known. And they, God used them to turn this world upside down. Well, I want to close with a story that I read of God's power in a man's life. Uh, there's a black pastor named James Ford He's the pastor at South Shore Baptist Church in Chicago and he has, ama- has an amazing story of God's grace in his life. He was the oldest of 10 children and he was raised on welfare in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His dad was never at home and his mom told him early on that his dad had died and that's why he wasn't around. But later she told him that he was alive and that he was in prison in Tennessee. Now he never got to meet his dad because shortly after that his dad got killed in prison for selling bad drugs. Jim swore that if he ever had a son, he would never leave him like his dad left him. He began using drugs, though. And in the military, he was put in jail for at least once. And when he got out, he got married. He had a son named Jay. But all the time, he and his wife were still using drugs. Uh, He would blow smoke into his four-year-old son's face to, to make him high and watch him do funny things. His wife began to play around on him. He said that he had resolved to kill his wife and the other guy and then die in the shootout if necessary because he had already said, I'm, I'm never going back to jail. Two things happened to stop him. One day at work, a southern white man, a man named Ray Reno, who called himself a ridge running hippie from t- Tennessee, he saved Jim's life by pulling him back from a falling crane. Literally saved his life. That made Jim willing to listen to Ray when Ray said, Jim, whatever your problem is, Jesus is the answer. And that's all Ray said. Whatever your problem is, Jesus is the answer. The second thing that happened is that Jim's brother talked him out of killing his wife and said he should just move out and, and, and leave her. So he decided to spend one more night with her and then leave. Well, that night, they were both sitting on the couch, uh, high as a kite on what he called Columbia gold, uh, laced with embalming fluid. Then something amazing happened. His wife said, what about Jay? Remember, Jay was their son. Jim said, I could feel the high go out of me. It began at the top of my head. I could feel it go through my face and out of my whole body until I was stone cold sober. Sober. The very first thing I did right there in front of my wife was hit the floor and start calling on God. God, don't hurt me. God, don't hurt me. No one had to convince Jim that he was a sinner. All he had to be convinced of was that God was real. And now he knew that beyond any doubt. And from his perspective, that meant trouble. But guess what? God didn't hurt him. God actually healed him. The next day he goes to work and he went around telling everybody, God is real! God is real! His boss thought he had flipped and sent him home. On his way out, he looked up and he saw Ray Reno on a scaffold and he called out, Ray, God is real! Ray came down and gave him a big bear hug and pulled out his New Testament and showed him from Scripture what had happened. Then for the next several months, Ray would drive every Thursday afternoon from his suburb to the inner city of Pittsburgh to have a Bible study with Jim. Jim told him once, my old drug dealing buddies think you're a narc, and they said that they're going to kill you and me. Maybe you shouldn't come in anymore. To this, Ray said, Jim, if Jesus can shed his blood for me, I can shed my blood for you. 14 years later, James Ford has three sons now. His wife is a faithful partner, and he has been a pastor for over eight years. Jesus Christ was God's indescribable gift to James Ford. It changed his life from the inside out, and that's what happens. This isn't a superficial outside thing that somehow transforms you as you go on. It does transform you as you go on, but there is a massive transformation at the beginning when you trust Christ It changed his life from the inside out. God's indescribable gift to James Ford was Jesus. Well, guess what? God's indescribable gift to you is Jesus Christ. Is there a power to love? Is there a power that can really change people? Is there a way to have eternal life? Is there a way for my sins to be forgiven? Is there a way for your deepest longings to be satisfied? Is there a way to know God personally, and to be his friend, the answer is a resounding yes, and that yes is Jesus Christ, God's indescribable gift to you this Thanksgiving season. If you've never personally received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I commend him to you. I urge you to trust him, to call upon him for all of the help that you need. Paul tells us later in Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we will spend eternity as believers in heaven with You, with Your Son, Jesus, and we will marvel at Your kindness towards us in the grace shown to us because of Your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, this morning we pray that that grace would be made known, that Your mercy would be displayed. Father, that You would draw those to You uh, Father, who 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 need you, who don't know your son, God, I pray that you'd open their eyes and they would see the truth of what we talked about this morning and see Jesus as that indescribable gift. Do it for your name's sake, for your honor, for your glory. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I'm just gonna have a just have a song uh, give you a chance to respond. Uh, as i've been talking about jesus as this indescribable gift if you've never experienced him in that way is it possible that you do not know jesus as your lord and savior Uh, maybe you've grown up in church and you know you know the gospel backwards and forwards and, and, and you kind of say yeah i agree with it right and so i'm trying to live a good life that's not what christianity is Christianity is forsaking everything that you can, could ever possibly bring to God that would commend you to Him and say, See, this is what I bring. This is my offering. This is my sacrifice. No. You come empty-handed. You come admitting that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior. That's the first thing. There is no good news. The gospel is good news. There is no good news until you know the bad news. The bad news is that as a sinner, you are separated from God, not just now, but for eternity Except for Jesus Christ. So if you don't if you have not called out to Jesus and trusted Him with your eternity, then you're probably not what we would call a Christ follower, a Christian, a believer. It's, it's a life-changing event. Think about it that way. If you've, if you've never done that, I urge you to do it. Ask God to forgive you for sins. That's what what, uh, James 4 did. He said, God, don't hurt me. I'm guilty. He was saying, I'm guilty. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. God didn't hurt him. God healed him. That's just like that 's just like the man of the, the, uh, the publican who goes into the temple there in uh, Luke 18 it's him there he 's there with the Pharisee, and the Pharisee says, mm, Lord, I thank you that I 'm not like other men, <laughs> like adulterers and, and thieves and, and even like this publican over here, right Nobody liked the publican, especially if they were Jewish. And he says, I I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I own. What's he doing? He's boasting about the good things that he's done to commend himself to God. And Jesus says, this other man, the publican, couldn't even lift lift his eyes, but he stood off afar. He beat his breast, and he said, God, picture James Ford. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, he went home justified. He went home right with God. Has that happened in your life? Have you recognized your need for a savior? If you recognize it this morning, you need to come share it with me. We need to spend some time in the Word. If you're a believer, I hope that part of your natural outflow of your life is to share Jesus, even to acknowledge Him. It's not a matter of, hey, buddy, do you know Jesus? No, but... I've had this happen so many times when I'm out playing golf or whatever, I'll just throw it out there. Man, hasn't God given us a beautiful day? Acknowledge God in your life, in your conversation. It makes a huge difference. Thanksgiving. <laughs> if you're a believer, you have everything in the world to be thankful for. I don't care what's going on in your life. At 100 years from now, you're going to be in heaven and believer. (laughs) And and, and you've got everything to be thankful for. Let's live lives of gratitude. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.